0: Hey everybody, this is Dell and you're listening to another episode of the Dell and Jess show. saints and Aints and everybody else in between another episode of the dev and jess show how are you jess
1: i am doing a-okay and yourself
0: i'm here it is monday as at the time we're recording this um so we had a lot to sift through a lot happened in the christian world since last time we recorded which really wasn't even that long ago it was like what two weeks ago Right? I mean, so we had to kind of like I had to just pick some of the greatest hits mm-hmm. cuz it was so much to talk about.
1: I think that the greatest hits is a good idea. A, a compilation of events in the Christian world would be suffice. Would suffice. I think that Yeah.
0: That's really what it was. But all right, let's just dive right in. So, the first thing we're going to talk about today Um, There was a hubbub on the Christian interwebs about an article that was published by USA Today. And, oh, I'm sorry, not USA Today. I keep doing that. Christian Christianity today, not USA today. Well,
1: Christianity today is like the U.S. The, is the Christian version of the U, like the USA today. When you think about it, I guess. it
0: is. It I is. mean, so
1: it's not like that's much of a stretch. I mean,
0: right? It on. is the you know Christians have, to have the Christian version of everything, of and course, so, you like PureFlix. Exactly, PureFlix, um, book
1: Yes. <laughs> yes
0: instead of Twitter, it's probably going to be something called Dove.
1: I mean, but, you know, it, it's crazy because it keeps going even after you see the, the the epic fails. Like, you heard about Family Christian, like, closing, right? Family Christian what? There's, like, there's this company, Family Christian, you know, bookstores. They used to have, like, a chain. Oh,
0: I remember that. Okay. Yeah, they,
1: they just closed, like, maybe a few months ago. Like, they... I think they filed for, like, bankruptcy or something, or they just, they shut down. So, and it would, be, it would be hilarious to me because I had a girlfriend of mine who used to work there, and she would talk about the, the T-shirts, how they would have, like, the, the Christian version of Twilight as a response to the Twilight uh, fringy, and, you know, you had the Justin Bieber-type-looking... Um, Christian CDs, and it, I mean, even to the point. I mean, you know, it's bad when John Acuff writes a book called "Stuff Christians Like" and nails like eighty percent of the stuff that goes on in evangelical land. Like, come on.
0: Yeah, it is. But in terms of that, let's just segue into what this wonderful article is about. So, the title of the article that set everybody into a fuss is called "Who's in Charge of the Christian Blogosphere." And the subtext is, the age of the internet has birthed a crisis of authority, especially for women. (laughs) And so basically what the author is talking about, like she's detailing how in the early 2000s, um, the new genre of blogging. And I mean, this was the case for everybody, but also in the Christian world, how blogging became a bigger force and how people send information and learn about the news and things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and so, what she's saying is that it kind of created this new category of of people who can influence mm-hmm. the decisions and, and the thoughts of everybody else. Um, and so, a new. I'm reading from the um, right. from the uh, article now. It says a new kind of Christian celebrity and authority was born. The speaker and author who comes to us often virtually as a seemingly autonomous voice disembedded from any larger institution or ecclesiastical structure we can put a pin in that right there and come back to that because what
1: Oh, in other words translation because you're not connected to a council of leaders or bishops or superintendents or whatever you want to call whatever hierarchical structure of organized religion you're just out here willy-nilly just saying whatever you want to say and nobody's checking you
0: well, see, I think the other thing is, is that assumes that people don't have connections. Um, this is one of the reasons why the church is failing now overall. Um, it's this assumption that people who are talking and saying these things don't have any type of attachment to the church. And that's not true. Right. Um, it's just that now anybody can come up and make their voice heard yep. in, a, in a dynamic way that you couldn't before, particularly people who often are not allowed to say things um, and who who aren't given the same room to say those types of things. And she, the author kind of connects this to like the Protestant Reformation, you know, with the printing press and all that other stuff. And now people, the everyday person can read and think about the, you know, stuff like that. Um, And she also talks about a recent um, hubbub about the popular blogger Jen Hatmaker, who I don't know who she is.
1: I, um, I know who she is. And she is someone. She's like, well, do you ever heard of Sean and No. Okay.
0: See, I don't really know what happens in <laughs> Land <Joseland> anymore. <laughs> I don't, um, I, don't pay, I, I pay attention, but okay. like the new people, I don't really know because about, I just don't. What
1: attention. about Rachel Hell Evans?
0: Oh, yes, her I know. She okay. follows me.
1: Okay. So Rachel Hell Evans is like, she, I would say, is one step down in terms of her degree of progressiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, She's not to the point of like, she's not in like Rob Bell cat- territory, mm-hmm. but because she actually posited the idea that, well, wait a minute, maybe gay people can be gay and Christian, or maybe, you know, gay couples can actually are actually being, you know, or being reflective of the gospel, like because she just even said a maybe in her statement in in regards to that, or that she was struggling with um, her hard line position on homosexuality, they basically were like, oh, we don't we don't F with you no more.
0: Like oh, yeah it says here that lifeway stopped selling her books, but right. you know how lifeway does people if you put the wrong words in your book,
1: of course, of course, like you know, I'm sure like listen, that's probably why Yala will never ever 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 i mean beside outside of the the heretical stuff that that she says, but the um also the i mean think about one of her episodes, like think about how many times she said penis, they would just <laughs> i mean, come on she they would literally just. Less this poop bricks, and I'm saying that in the in the G version, not the the other version. But you know what I'm saying. So I, it doesn't really surprise me that they basically treated her like they treated Rob Bell when he, he came out with his book about hell. Like it to me is similar
0: to that, and it's so, like yeah. Mm. So here's the thing: it's like I'm reading as I read. And I I missed the overall hubbub on Twitter about right. why people were upset with the article, and so right. what I'm saying isn't negating why people might be upset about what she, what she's saying. Right. Um. I don't know. Like, I don't really. I have not heard anybody really. I've not. I have not read or listened to why people were upset.
1: Right.
0: With this. Right. Um. But I can see by reading it. I'm just kind of like, mm, it's just the fact that. It's strange to me, just this idea like, you know, who's in charge type of thing. Um, and it's a provocative question, but I think that a lot of evangelicals, what they don't realize is that there's never really been a hub for their group because there's no evangelical denomination. Like there's right. no, there's no, like there's an AME church, right? Mm-hmm. And there's United Church of Christ denomination, right? Right. There is no evangelical denomination it's just a type of theology a strand of christianity that many people have either have varying um adherences to right and so it's not one it's not a bishop or a general minister of evangelical thought right they're just it's just and that's part of why it can do so much and why it lasted so long but the crisis of authority has always been an issue for evangelicals because again it's like well If everybody's in charge then who really is in charge and so there's no way to like rein anybody in if they're doing something and so that's that's why um, in the history that's been the case um, Molly Wharton I believe her name is she wrote a lot of good she writes good stuff on that and so Mm -hmm. um, it's just something that has always been an issue particularly when there are times of deep social change right it's always been an issue of who's in charge and who's the real evangelical in the group and who's the real person? That's why even in the beginning she used all those big words because it's like those are always things that matter. Um, did you hear anything about why people were upset or were you annoyed with it at all? I
1: saw, I saw the tweets. I saw the way people were. And to me, I don't think that people realize is that if you want to see a case of an internalized racism and sexism, evangelical land is the best place to look for it because you know of course they're gonna have a woman write this article like well we have a woman write for, writing for it so it's not like it's completely sexist because the guy didn't write it you know like that sort of thinking it's like um but you're not realizing what what's what I find to be ironic about it is that if the if Protestantism is a result of dissent and breaking off from a large institution, <laughs> and breaking off, and throwing off this hierarchical <laughs> system, and then it, in essence, you just replaced it with another more, with another hierarchical, hierarchical, hierarchical system, but it's just more splintered. It's just more splintered, which is I just find it to be completely ironic because it's like they've become the very thing that they supposedly. Are against.
0: <laughs> so, see how I feel about it now is this: it's like this. I feel like what she's saying is a mixed bag, mm. because she says things that are true in this article. Is that no? It is very true about the about the blogosphere in general, right. you know, but particularly in about um, Christianity in the early two thousands. Yes, that's true. Right. And the whole idea about how it is far more likely for churches to nurture male leadership in direct ways like theological education and all that type of stuff and that women generally even even when they're ordained that they don't necessarily have those same opportunities but then i feel like it's another side where it's like okay well women need to be held accountable to orthodoxy too and so whenever those words pop up for me I start wondering and I start thinking that, okay, well, when you are harping on that, then basically it seems like you're trying to say, yes, it's cool. That, and we need more women to be mentored in leadership, but they need to actually be real Christian like me, i.e. no gays, believe the Bible like me, pray right. like me right. type of thing. Right. And so that's usually for me a tell. And right. so that's kind of what I'm getting from the article is right. that, yes, it's true. And, and it's it's almost like this. It's this unique brand of feminism that it's like, yeah, we women. It's like women need to be like the boys too. Like let us women be like the men type of thing. But no one ever kind of questions that maybe what the men are doing is wrong. Right. Type of thing. Right. It's like yeah, you want to be like the men, but maybe the men aren't doing things that we should. Maybe no one should do what the men is doing. Not just let other people do it besides the men. Right. Um, and that's why I feel like this idea of formal authority and plus she's Anglican to be so oh. high church and bishops and authority, all that type of stuff makes a difference. Um, like, like, I get what she's saying in that regard. But again, it's just it just feels like she's saying like, well, as I read it, how I feel about what she's saying is that. Yes, we need more women, but and the women need more education and women need more training, which is fine. But training to think like you're supposed, quote unquote, to right,
1: which is God, like, the, and then if, this is this is the thing that's so irritating is that that if if you want to basically drive people from one rung of fundamentalism to another, this is the way to do it. Like, it's one thing to tell someone, okay, I just want you to approach this or attack it from several different angles. And just to start thinking about this in several different ways, but to there's only one way to approach this subject, there's only one, like, one way to think about it, to address it.
0: Oh, if
1: that isn't groupthink.
0: See, here's, I'll read the end of it, and here's the thing where where she really kind of gets me a bit. She writes, the church has said for millennia that bad teaching is more deadly than bad surgery. I don't really know if that, I mean... I think if you would talk to somebody who does malpractice or whatever, I think they'd disagree with that, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I would rather you, I'm pretty sure a bot surgery is the worst than me getting a bad church teaching, but whatever. anyway. Um, <laughs> here, she continues to say, now we have an influx of teachers who've become so by the stroke of a key. The need for formal structures of training, hierarchy and accountability in medical schools and medical boards is obvious because we don't want our doctors to simply be popular or relatable. We want them to practice medicine correctly and truthfully, participate in a medical tradition broader than themselves, and serve under the authority and oversight of others. We need to be as discerning and we need to be as discerning in whom we trust with care of souls as we are with care of our bodies. So here's where again where she loses me. Because it's the thing is it's not so much that she is wrong, it just doesn't go all it doesn't curl all the way over. Mm-hmm. Because one again she's Anglican. You have to be thoroughly educated to advance in the Anglican Church. Right. Right? So there's that. Two, there's nothing... She's saying that that these people are not educated. And so I've been to seminary twice, okay? Uh, So I get it. There's a whole bunch of crap that you will never know unless you sit down and study at a theological seminary or go and find some books and read them. That's very true. And I'm all for being thoroughly educated. But the idea that people aren't aren't able to articulate their own experiences. And because, like, we're talking about people who have been marginalized and who know their own experience and right. know what has happened to them. And they can read. Like, right. that's the thing. It's like, okay, maybe you don't know, you know, all these old dusty dead theologians and all the other stuff, but you can read, like, you can talk, you can think. And so that that's my issue is that, like, saying that people like Rachel Held Evans or some of the other bloggers and things that are out there that they don't have the authority to speak on some issues. I could rock with her in some situations, but in the way that she's framing it, I don't rock with it because it's right. basically saying that people don't have the right to say things. It's like, right. she's not saying that someone is, we're not talking like if you want to use her doctor metaphor, which I think does not really work, but right. if you want to use it anyway, <laughs> I think <it's, laughs> it doesn't really work at all, No, but let's just use it. Since, since she's so wedded to it, let's just use it. Um, yes, you want people to be trained. You, it's just, it just, it's not, it, well, actually, no, I can't even really use it because it doesn't really apply. It's like, well,
1: my issue is this. My issue has always been, what do you really want to say, but you are either too afraid to really just put out there and just say what you really think? or what are you like what are you what are you really trying to get at and to me and maybe this is just this is my perception but to me it strikes me as these people are so out of pocket because they're just saying whatever they believe and they have no sort of credentials b- behind what they're saying they you know they didn't go through extensive training they ha- they don't have anybody Checking them and policing them and making sure that they're in line, and just and it's like the thing that kind of drives me crazy is, I mean, excuse my French, bitch. Nobody asked you.
0: <laughs> but no, it's it's just oh, like that's my thing is that it's again. I think I was gonna try to use her metaphor and walk with it, but it just doesn't work for me because. There's a Bible. Well, generally speaking, we 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 know how a heart works. We know like there's no, the Bible is nowhere near as cut and dry right. as figuring out how to put. I mean, not that not that a heart transplant is cut and dry, right? But it ain't the same. And this idea that people aren't theologically educated like let's talk about how expensive theological education is first of all like it's just it's so much to me that that is problematic with this stance because again i feel like she's she's saying yeah we need more women but we need more women to think the right way and however i'm going to think is the right way and that's really what i'm picking up from this um that um this idea that there's these rogue bloggers and it's funny because I've been called a blogger as being disrespectful too. Like, that, that's why it's funny to me.
1: Wait, I'm so, sorry. Wait, time out. Hmm? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I shouldn't. I mean, it's just like. It really? is funny. It's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, like, you're talking mm-mm. about having a key. This is the thing I find to be ironic. Does she not realize she's putting herself in the same category the very people that she's criticizing because she's using the same medium?
0: Well, in her, uh, I I would assume that she would say this because she's an Anglican priest and because she's gone through all of that, that she is basically, she's doing it right. Um, That that, that she would look at herself as, oh, well, I'm doing it right and I'm doing it the right way. Spoken Um, like a true
1: colonialist imperialist type. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. So I think that that is the thing is that she she's saying that do it like me. I went to school, and I'm under leadership, and I am. And the thing about it is, again, is that I don't disagree with those notions on their face. Like in my time in ministry, it's really important to do ministry in community right. and to have connection, and not just be out there. Right. right? I get um, that. But these people aren't pastors.
1: Right. Right.
0: And it's also like it's a bigger issue. It's a fracturing of an understanding of authority. It's a fracturing of an understanding of. Like, I, like the opinion about authority has changed yeah. and it's bigger than just the church and it's not going back. Right. And, in many re- and in many ways, it shouldn't go back, yeah. to be totally honest. Like,
1: well, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, when it comes to the, co- the concept of authority and accountability, it's that the evangelical land has been do as I say, not as I do. That's very much the position because when you think about all the scandals that have gone on in evangelical land, it's clear that it it's not really about real. Like it's not really about accountability. It's not about equality. It's not about you know respect of authority. It's always it's 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 to me for for many people unfortunately the way it's set up. People who are predators, people who are basically coming in with their own agenda, who want to make a name for themselves and who want power Um, in this particular world will do and say anything and will eliminate anyone who has these stones to check them or to say, you out of line, you out of pocket. And it's just kind of sad because, you know, it's all been under the guise of we, we you know, we don't want to be an affront to the gospel, or we don't we want to be a stumbling block, or we don't be want to be a cause for someone's offense, be it a but cause for offense for someone coming to the kingdom, and it's like,
0: oh whatever, right? Bye. Well, you know, I ugh, I'll, I'll say this, and then we can kind of we, then we could move on. I think okay. the. The problem with stuff like this is that, well, I'll I'll share a phrase that my professor in seminary told me. In History of Christianity, he said that it's not really the history of Christianity, singular. It's really the history of Christianity's, plural. Right. And that there's always been more than one approach to the faith. And some have more validity than others, of course. But this idea that all Christians thought the same thing. I mean, there are a lot of things that are the same. Yeah. But there are a lot of things that are approached differently, even in that sameness, I guess is the best way to say. huh. Um, it's like a lot of, it could be a lot of roses on the rose bush and they all are roses, but they all look, they, they all have a similar look, but they all aren't the same. Right. You know, and I think that's the, the problem is that we want some true brand of Christianity. And every time you try to find, say this is the true brand of, well, I'll say that there's some essence of Christianity and there's some things that I will say that I will focus on. But even in me saying that these things are very, very important, there are other people. And so I can't, I may disagree with them and still want to advance my own, but it doesn't mean that those other ones are any less valid. Right. Uh, And I think that's the problem that people, particularly in this genre, in this case, when folks like her and other people will say that, when we get down to orthodoxy, what we ultimately mean, we're going to end up with a bunch of white people. Yeah. We're going to end up with a bunch of white people taking over the world and thinking that they're the center of the universe. And I know that's a crude way of saying it, but that's whenever these types of Christians right. um, elevate these ideas, yep. we're going to end up with a world that doesn't work out for the vast majority of it. We're going to end up with a theology and, and, and a Christianity that is antagonistic yep. to most of the world. Right. So anything else to say about this or, or are, we, are we good?
1: Listen, I just want to be like, Bye. That's basically my position because it's it's just like when I saw, like I saw the tweets and I'm just like, okay, really scrolling on like, I I mean, of all the things you want to argue about in the blogosphere, (laughs) you have all sorts of scandals going on. You have financial mismanagements of money. You have, I mean, listen, I mean, this is, this is would be a reality show produces like dream In terms of the the craziness that goes on. Yeah. So it's just like, and you're focusing on this?
0: It's sad. It's just, it's, this could be a very provocative conversation if it wasn't basically, if it didn't read like a nice way to tell people to get themselves in order. Like, it's a very provocative question. It's, it's very research-worthy. I think it's definitely worth discussion, Right. but the way she ends up, no. Well, let's move on. Since you brought up, um, you know, money issues, let's talk about what happened with Benny Hinn. Do you remember him? Oh,
1: yes. There were there were YouTube videos that merged his uh, concerts or shall we say uh, services with Street
0: Fighter. Yes, those are funny. I saw a few of those. For any listeners who don't know, because does he is he still on TV? Does he still do stuff on TV? Star, apparently. He's on Daystar now, okay.
1: But here's the thing, like, I think an example, if you don't know who Benny Hinn, a picture of Benny Hinn, think about uh, pre- uh, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's debate with Donald Trump in which she wore a white suit.
0: Yeah, and, she did um, wear that Benny Hinn white suit.
1: And so there was, <laughs> there was a, had a haircut like him, too. <laughs> Salvation White. Yes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Hillary was dressed like she was going to the next rally. Yes, she was. <laughs> oh God, she did we did say that she was dressed like she was going to a Benny Hill convention. Listen, be there was the in me
1: circulating on Twitter talking about who wore it better. I was just like, ma'am.
0: Oh my god. You mean that's hilarious. Of course. Well,
1: of course.
0: So Benny Hinn. so okay, well, I'm reading from the Washington Post. So, so apparently there was an issue. So apparently last week, as of, at the time we're recording this. Um, The IRS raided um, the ministry headquarters, their ministry headquarters, right? And there was a correction in the story. Apparently, there has not been any evidence of wrongdoing. Like, the raid did happen, but there hasn't been any evidence of wrongdoing found yet. Um, And so this is... This is going on from what happened, hell, a decade ago, right? Um, when the um, the Senate Finance Committee investigated um, six televangelists, right, and to see whether or not they were actually, you know, being nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Joyce Meyer was one of them. Creflo Dollar. I think she was Kenneth um, only... Copeland Ministries was another one,
1: right? I think she was the only one that, when I think she was the only one that turned over her books like without being, without getting like without them repeatedly requesting them.
0: I'm not surprised. Um, but so I, at this point, from abstaining from the story, the raid happened, but no one really. There's no information yet to be discussed, right? It just happened. But I think why it's important is because I think a lot of people don't quite understand the history between churches and the IRS.
1: Oh, yes. Which Agent Orange is actually trying to change.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, actually, there's a bit of a, it's not necessarily huge, but there's a decent enough outcry. Well, maybe outcry is too strong a word, but there's enough people who I've heard say that they really do believe that churches should have to pay taxes, that they shouldn't be non-exempt. Um, because particularly of how influential and how amorphous church can be like for people who don't know um again me being clergy if (laughs) in order to in order to maintain your tax-exempt status Mm -hmm. like you cannot endorse a politician from the pulpit so let's say if i was the pastor of greater holiness church of god in christ missionary baptist incorporated right Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so let's say i'm the pastor of that church and no i can't repeat it because i forgot all the words that i just said so if i wanted to have like i couldn't say from the pulpit of my church i'm with her vote for hillary clinton i couldn't do that right um
1: they have it really strict in the uk
0: right but here it's weird like it's kind of it's it's ways around it but I I can't blatantly I can't blatantly endorse a candidate from the pulpit. Right. If I have elected officials there they have I like guess say it's election season. I have to give equal time to all of the candidates so I can't have just one come up and talk and the other one.
1: Right.
0: Um you can have elected officials officials come. You can have that. Um, but they can't like campaign well, they, well they well even that's kind of sticky. Um, you can have elected people come and talk, but it's usually easier if they just talk about a law or what they're doing or some goals or things like that. Right. But you can't use the pulpit to actively campaign for just one candidate. Right. However, the problem is that it's many ways to get around that, <laughs> and people constantly jump back and forth over the line, and particularly when you have lobbying organizations and other type of organizations being formed with religious <laughs> <Research> undertones. <laughs> yeah. Like all it can, we can, the, the list goes on and on and on. There's so many other ones that we can name, but these are church, the, the, these are parachurch organizations that still do work. And like, I mean, even in DC, there's a, I think what, focus on the family, like, no, the family research council right. is, is downtown. Yep. And, um, and so all these other things make that rule kind of dicey. And there's, the history is, the reason why a lot of them exist now, What people often don't know, is that big, the, the main reason that the religious right exists is not because of abortion, but it's because of segregation. Because Bob Jones University was threatened by the IRS that if they did not change their standings about intermarriage and interracial, um, um, interracial issues, that they would lose their tax exempt status. And so they organized themselves in that, in that period in the 70s to fight that. It was for segregation. And abortion was intentionally used as a front because in that time, it was becoming less and less cool to be blatantly racist mm-hmm. in public. And they knew that. Yeah. And you can research this too. Actually, it's a bunch of articles. If you look up Randall Balmer, I think is his name. I should know his name. I did. A, I used his work a lot in my thesis. But if you research Randall Balmer and look up the real reason for the religious right, um, you can see a lot of the details that I just discussed, and he'll explain them in more detail there. Um, but that's the history of the church and tax exempt. And many people are saying now that that should really be lifted because what's the reason? Particularly because, church, because churches have been so politically involved, it's like it doesn't even make a difference. It doesn't even make like a point. So... So, yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, It is. But they didn't, have they ever found anything for those people? Did they find anything worth discussing?
1: I don't think so. And to me, it's like, given the fact that this was like, the story, the way that they broke this, the story was broken, it wasn't like it was like front page. It was very subtle and very quiet. It wasn't like it was something that they had like blazing across their website. Because most people don't even really... Unless you're like, you know, word of faith, charismatic, you don't really know that much about Benny Hinn. You follow what I'm saying? Right. So it's not really all that surprising it wasn't like major news. Um, But it's just crazy to me because it makes you think about how much you I, like folks are idolized and then when you find out that they you know that they're not who you thought they were, you know, it is amazing it always amazes well not really all that amazing, but the way in which people basically fight to basically hold on to that image is always interesting. Like even if it's like blatant evidence. Like you even see it with like the Sif Lord supporters. Like they can I mean you you could have him Walking out of a Ku Klux Klan rally, you know, with his hood off. And they would be like, no, nah, he's not racist. <laughs> so it's just like, it's one of those things where it's just, the people that, are, that have always supported him are going to continue to support him. And people that have, have had questions and doubts will be like, oh, this is, this, is, this is what I've been saying all along. So I don't know if it's really going to change anything. So I don't know. I just feel like if anything, it's just going to basically confirm to a lot of the the nuns and duns that they made the right decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the church is going through a major change and a major shift in the I mean, it's just for so many reasons. Um, you know, membership is dwindling. Millennials are generally less religious. Pensions are draining. Attendance is down. Um, this is kind of what happens. Um, and I mean, Benny, him, Benny Hinn was always kind of the fringe anyway, always right. kind of like a step below a snake handler. Right. Um, but he's in the line of like the Oral Roberts. Right. and uh, And in some ways, um, not exactly, but you know, like the um friend, you know, um the Billy Grahams and the I said oral Roberts and the you know, um Kenneth Hagans mm-hmm. and they they're all in the similar and they're all friends. They all know each other, right. And I think that that's the thing, too, is that it's it's what people today also don't I don't think people quite realize is that in today's in today's day and age, When the average person, and it's a study that they did on this, um, the average person cannot handle an extra expense of $400 without having to rely on some form of credit. Right. The average person does not have $1,000 in their bank account. And so the idea is not so much that people are upset that folks want to make money and that some folks are even rich. It's that so many of so many folks can't do like basic things can't be done without basically being in the red. Like we're not talking about vacations and trips and things like that. We're talking about, you know, going to the doctor or going to school to better yourself or having food or paying bills or even having a cell phone or having internet like you can't function without the internet and the internet in America is ridiculously expensive you can't function without a phone, and cell phones are, and plans are ridiculously expensive. But it's these types of things, and I don't think people quite realize that's why folks are so annoyed about the money stuff. Yep. So we can move on from there. Right. Um, our which last ir- piece of... Which, oh, is I'm sorry. No,
1: which is ironic, because when you think about this whole Benny Hinn thing, a couple mm-hmm. of years prior, Or Roberts had a scandal. Wait, is he alive? No, he's not. But his children, they were running oh. the school, and they basically were removed because they were like using university funds, and the school was like millions of dollars in debt, and like it was really bad, like really bad. And you know, I my two sisters both graduated
0: from Oral Roberts. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't. So, I didn't see. But that just shows you how much I don't pay attention. So, well, because <laughs> I didn't know.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because my sister, my younger, my youngest, my younger, but the youngest out of all four of us, she just graduated a few years ago. Well, it's been it's been a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. But in any event, she graduated from there, and my sister graduated uh, shortly, like shortly before the scandal broke. Like, so maybe like a year or two before the scandal broke. (laughs) So like there was this gap. And so for my other sister, the one that's going, well, one of them is going to Thailand in a few weeks. Um, But anyway, she was just talking about the market difference in terms of the campus and the debt and how basically the guy that took over got them back in the red and then basically left. Because that was his, he just only wanted to improve the financial situation, and then just leave. It wasn't like a situation where he wanted to step in and take power and then not return it. So it was just very, a very interesting thing because, you know, you have, like, you had folks and it was just like, this is his son and his wife, and they were, like, spending, like, quarter of a million dollars on things. And it was just, like, ridiculous. It's the kind of stuff that you see with, like, presidents. It's like, they were the president. And they were just spending, like millions of dollars and you're like what are you doing (laughs) like what's going on and and then it's like one of those things where it's like they had the goal to be on like Larry King I think one time and I was just like who told you this was a good idea like that was just the like the worst PR move in history so I just I'm not surprised that he's like laying low right now
0: (laughs) I guess that all makes sense um our last bit of news is from the United Methodist Church. This is going to be a rough one. So the last time the church elected bishops, they elected Karen Oliveto. I hope I'm saying her name right. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But they elected her and she is married to a woman and she was elected and so eventually um, just to make a long story very short, cause you know, UMC church law can be very complicated. Um, they, they, her consecration was challenged and they had a judicial council and basically there were some rulings that came out of it. And I'm going to try to explain them the best I can cause they're quite complicated. Like again, most UMC rulings and law is very complicated right. and people actually get off on this, that it's so complicated and convoluted, but it's whatever. So the they had the judicial council and they found that you you know that no one single person or entity can break church law. And according to United Methodist Church, um, being homosexual, oh, I'm sorry, being a practicing homosexual, which is always funny to me. Oh, God. Um, a practicing one. It's almost insulting. Like practicing what? I, I think I'm quite good at this personally, but <laughs> I. I mean, maybe they mean practice, like you know, like a doctor practices medicine. Is that what they could mean? Because that, I, I, that's different. If I'm like a practicing homosexual, like I have like a, a a license on my wall, I can understand and appreciate that. But practicing, as in like you know, shooting in the gym, practicing, refining my form, I think I'm quite good at it. But that's here nor there. Or there. <laughs> um, I would say so. They said that that one, no one person can break church law. There's that, right? Um, And part of their argument was that her same-sex marriage license is not evidence of her self-avowing homosexuality, which even though, I mean, to me, that's kind of like, whoa, that's kind of not the strongest argument in the world to me, but it is what it is. And so um, what they said, though, after that is that the self-avowal of her practicing homosexuality does not nullify the consecration and the cause from her off- and removed from her office. And so basically they ruled that no one person can put her, can, can break church law. However, the self-avowal of her sexuality does not nullify the fact that she was consecrated to be a bishop. Does that make sense? Okay. Alright.
1: So in other words, uh, mm-hmm. um, her okay, the self avowal of her of her gayness does not nullify what his, what her consecration as a bishop is what you just said, right?
0: Yes. Okay. So the fact that they found that, like the the argument, the 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 defense's argument was that her marriage license in of itself is not a declaration of her sexuality. And they found that that, that that didn't work. And I mean, honestly, it wouldn't have worked for me either in that regard. But what they're also saying is that, okay, while that is true, that does not negate the fact that she was elected to be bishop. What it does do, however, is it opens up the opportunity for office to be investigated. And that could happen. Or they could just be somehow relegated to being a general complaint. However. There's another piece that kind of comes out. Um, And so now, because of the ruling, and here's the part that kind of is the barb, that people who support or put people who are again, openly avowed, practicing homosexuals in any type of offices can suffer consequences. Mm. Um, That, and I'll read here, it says, the decision further found that an openly homosexual and partner bishop may be charged with disobedience to church law along with other bishops and clergy persons who actively participate in the consecration of a bishop who has been found to be a self-avowed practicing homosexual through a judicial or administrative process and so what this basically does is two things one it makes it it's like it, it it presents opportunity to severely punish people who come out who are clergy like like it has repercussions throughout the whole denomination Hmm. but also it probably is saying the stage for an an inevitable split yeah um that's what's probably happening um and so i mean what are your thoughts based on what i uh, all of that so far
1: it's just it's just look i mean i could be like not my circus not my monkey's but it's just to me, it's just like, really, are we, are we really like because to me, what that sounds like is you are basically giving folks a carte blanche check to go on a gay hunt. You're giving them the, the actual grounds to sit the, sit there and for people who are homophobic. And people who are toxic in leadership to eliminate any threats by basically being like, Well, I think they're gay. Now I know that it's a little bit more complicated and nuanced than that, but what they're saying is that like you're you're basically being like, Look, if you you know, if you get if you get promoted in this position, you gotta stay stay deep in the closet.
0: And it's yeah. No, go ahead.
1: You know, don't let us catch you. And it's just, it's bollocks.
0: I mean, it's... Now, as you know, I used to be a member of the United Methodist Church. Right. And I did not... I was right at the point when I was about to enter the ordination process. Right. When I left. Right. Um, And so I left for the main reason being that I'd have to lie a lot um, in order to do that. And for me, it was it was... Too big a compromise of my integrity um, to do that, and I worked so hard to embrace myself to that point. I just couldn't. I couldn't see myself living a lie, and I was so newly out then, and so newly free in myself that it would have been so limiting, right? Um, in so many in so many ways, and it sucks. I mean, it, it, I I do not regret the decision. And one of the other reasons I made the decision is this, is that people were saying, even back then, and this was years ago now at this point, when people were telling me, like, you know, they're going to fix this, 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 they're going to fix this, the LGBTQ issue isn't going to be an issue much longer, they're going to fix it at the next, you know, the next annual conference, which is every four years. And I did the math, and me and another friend of mine did the math. And so we're like, look, y'all don't have the votes or the range, like, y'all are not going to be able to turn this thing over, it's not going to be no change. And I didn't want to put my life on hold because there are things that I wanted out of life. Like I wanted the chance to, you know, you know, meet somebody, you know, I want the chance to, you know, develop a, my own family, you know, and things of that nature. And you can't do those things if you're trying to be in the closet. Like you just can't do that. Um, if you had, if, if and, and try to maintain those things, okay. and those things were important to me. So I said, I don't want to, I've already figured out that I'm human. So I'm going to dip. I don't need to wait for you. Right. Um, but the thing that sucks is that uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a split. There has to, like, there's going to be a split. Like, I don't see any way. Right. The way forward commission that they created at the last annual conference, right? a lot of people thought that was kind of whack, too, because now they're all going to kind of come together and think of a way to go forward. But they're really the way forward is to my suggestion has always been to allow conferences to make a, that decision on their own. Um, and people have suggested that on, over and over again, that one of the issues is that they want, they want to be the United Methodist Church, and they don't want the church to split, because the church was split, like many other organizations, denominations, around slavery in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And so they reformed and came back together after that. And so they want them to stay together. And so, well, okay, well, why don't you give each, each jurisdiction, allow them to make decisions for themselves? Which means that there'll be some that say no, right? But there'll be some that have the ability to say yes. Like, for example, the, the district that we're in, the Washington Baltimore district, mm-hmm. you'd probably get it, it'll be closer than you think. Right. <laughs> it'll be way closer than you think. Right. But, um, you know, they could vote and say, okay, we want, to, we want to openly affirm and we want to, uh, uh, you know, we want to be able to ordain LGBTQ clergy and some whatever. That can be what they can do, but they don't want to do that because they don't see that as, you know, but it's just sad. Um, there is on its face, no reason for any queer person to put any stock in the church if they do not want to. Yep. The end. There is like, there are people who do and the people who I know and I respect them, like, like there is strength It takes strength and courage to stay. Right. And I want to honor that. Right. Um, it, it's a lot of hard work to try to work to change, and there's a there's space for that, and I think it's wonderful to acknowledge that. Right. However, no one has to. Right. There is no reason for any queer person to put stock in the institutional church because the institutional church has been largely hateful. Yep. And has said time and time again: we don't want you. Yep. And so there is no reason like that. Like, like if you if you find a personal reason to do so, that's great. And I honor that and I support that. But there's plenty of people who have no reason to. And sometimes I say that because I feel like a lot of times people feel like they have to. Because they kind of have to forgive people and all the other stuff. Oh, I, and, I hate. I, listen. Yeah.
1: I ain't got that. I don't have to. I mean, that thing.
0: deserves a podcast episode by itself, whether or not you need to <sighs> forgive people. Man, look. <laughs> that's a whole podcast right? episode in of itself which we need to do that at right, some point
1: right i don't have to do what i have to do is, is stay stay breathing and stay alive whether or not for, forgiving you however is a whole other conversation entirely
0: and i'll even say you can forgive but not come back if what? you want to forgive them you can forgive and not come back and i think that's the ultimate thing is that they don't yes. the church does not deserve our loyalty. I'm speaking, I'm speaking as a queer person now. Right. The church does not deserve our loyalty. The church does not deserve... I mean, you may give it if you want to, but there is no overarching reason that can somehow negate or nullify that the church has been largely cruel to queer people. Yep. The end. You may know people here and there who are different, and that is great. There's awesome. I know a bunch of them too. There's a lot more than you actually might even realize. Right. But institutionally, on the books, how it goes on the day to day. the church is not a safe place for queer people. The end. Full stop, period. Right.
1: And it's just it's. Oh, my gosh, it's it's really. Yep,
0: I agree. I agree. Well, is that all the news we have for today? I think so. All right. Well, let's pause here and take a break and we'll be right back. Okay.
1: All right. Well, I actually just wanted to shift gears just a little bit simply because in our conversations about uh, the decision with the, you know, UMC and the the conversation that we had about bloggers and authority, I think this would be a good time to shift to our portion, um, which we like to call Sunday school. Um, which to be completely honest with you, I would have probably actually stayed in Sunday school if we were actually discussing the things that we're going to be talking about today. Particularly because I think one of the areas in which um, evangelicalism could really benefit is having an actual open, honest, healthy debate and discourse and then not just be exclusively in seminary. So um, in this particular part, this is, I guess you could say, a great time for tweeting us any questions that you might have. And you can tweet us at Dell and Jess. Dell likes the computer and the full word.
0: Wait a minute. Not at the computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> I'm way better than those computers. Those are not good computers. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying, so people understand spelling.
0: I guess. Okay. Far- okay. I mean,
1: I could say farmer in the Dell.
0: All right. All right. All right. Dell Fine. and Jess. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Or you can email us at the Dell and Jess. So in this particular instance, I actually wanted to ask Ridell a question that has always, something I've always thought about, but I've never really discussed with Other Christians about it just because, depending on what denomination or background, you know, that it could be very, it could be very, it could be a very testy conversation. And that's particularly about Bible translation. You know, depending on what denomination or what leanings you might have, you know, let's say you might have a charismatic leaning and you just love the Amplified Bible. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, you might be, you know, in the hardcore Mark Driscoll vein. So you might love your um ESV. Um However, you know, depending on what denomination that you fall into, you might have a particular preference. You know, some people like to read the NIV version. Some people like to read the New American Standard version you know, and then there's all these different websites and they have a certain number of translations, which brings up to, which basically brings me to my big question, which is why are there so many damn translations
0: of the Bible? Hmm. Well, it's just a convoluted, well, it's not convoluted, but it's very complicated. Okay. And it's something a lot of people don't quite realize because, you know, when you're in church and if you, particularly if you're like a really adamant, you know, Christian and you, you, know, you are a Bible-believing Christian, um, you don't really think about stuff like that. You only think about it in terms of what's right and wrong, but you don't really think about the overall history. And so the short answer is that there are many, many Bibles because we want there to be, um, I think, <laughs> and that people translate Bibles for a number of different reasons, a number of different purposes. and that it's important to remember that the Bible, well, one, the Bible, I think first you have to really talk about what the Bible actually is, right? And so the Bible is not one book. Um, the Bible is actually a collection of many documents. Some of them are letters, some of them are poetry, some of them are history, some of them are, you know, are, are um, correspondence. like all of these different types of documents um, that are compiled together. And you know, for the usage of you know of faith and understanding and things like that, and that it's comprised of two sections, two major sections. Now, most people in in most churches will call it the Old Testament, which is all of the Hebrew, you know, the the, the Hebrew scriptures, and then the New Testament is like the Gospels and Paul and all the other stuff. What I do now is I say the first Testament and the second Testament, uh, because. What a lot of scholars have argued is that Old Testament is disrespectful to um, to the, the Hebrew scripture. because the uh-huh. people, like, the, the, like Jews today, still read those scriptures and they still matter today. Right. And so it's not old to them. Right. You know what I mean?
1: Right. The term Old Testament is like a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's like
0: saying that, that's the old one. Now we have a new one. But people still read that today. And so you'll see some people... Not a lot, but you'll see some people do First Testament and Second Testament. That, that's what I try to do mm-hmm. um, when I'm writing. Um, I might say OT just for people to understand, but if I'm doing like official writing or something, I'll say First and Second.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. The only reason why I said it is because it, when you said how the term Old Testament can be taken, it immediately made me think about the terms First World and Third, you know, and third World. yeah. Because those are actually terms from like world. I think it's like World War One or World War Two.
0: Yeah, something like that. I forgot exactly, but and it's something to that extent.
1: I mean, when you think about it, it's very. I mean, that, it reeks of imperialism.
0: It's very condescending yeah, um, when you don't think about crazy. it. It's like it, it's it's not like people have stopped being Jews after Jesus came and left. You know, right? It's that people are Jewish today and read these scriptures today. And so to say that somebody else's stuff is old, right? And it's not even your stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> it's
1: basically <laughs> it's basically the equivalent of calling somebody else's like it's like calling somebody else's heirloom the non mother f factor.
0: Yeah, it's like you're trying to get this matter. This is the Old Testament, and now right. we have the new stuff. Right. But um the the thing they remember is that the vast majority of the Hebrew scriptures are written in Hebrew, and the vast major and and all of the um second testament is written in greek koine greek okay and so the bible is not written in english and so in order for us to read it someone has to translate it and so the bible has been translated a bunch of times like there's a bunch of translations like the the you know if you go study you'll hear of the septuagint mm-hmm. and and the masoretic text, mm-hmm. and you you'll you'll hear all these types of things that are thrown around mm-hmm. particularly with the hebrew bible in the hebrew scriptures, because the Jews dispersed around the world after right. you know a number of events, you know um, exile and wars and whatnot, and so there were Jews all around the world yep. uh, who did not necessarily speak Hebrew, right? And so they had to translate it into Greek and things like that. And so it, it's it's there's already been a bunch of translations even before we get to English, right? But for our current times, I think what's important to note about why we have so many denominations is because the denominations all have distinct theology, mm-hmm. and so. The thing that people kind of don't quite understand about translation is that when you're translating something, like when you're translating something, you're automatically interpreting it. Right. And so it's not a one-to-one ratio. Like, it's not always an exact word. And there's some words that have different shades of meaning that we don't capture in English. Right. And English words change. And so I'll give you an example of two of those. Um, So... In the in the Gospels, when you see the word compassion used, um, it's translated to say compassion, and we have a general sense of what compassion is. Like you know, you feel kind of bad and sorry for someone. It's mm-hmm. it's like kind of like uh, related to sympathy. You can kind of interchange those two words sometimes, compassion and sympathy. You know, mm-hmm. like like you feel like compassion is where you feel their pain, like compassion. <laughs> uh, you know, and so you you feel their pain you know, that that's how we mean it. But the Greek word that's used, it has more of this, it gives this sense of someone's guts being wrenched. Like, let's say you had the bubble guts, and you got to go to the bathroom. That's kind of more the, the the thing. And so you, you get, and every time you see that word compassion with Jesus, very soon after you see him doing something. So the whole idea is that, Jesus, it says that he was moved with compassion, right? That's, what it, that's the phrase you constantly see in all, and particularly the um, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. You always see the phrase, Jesus was moved with compassion. Right. And so what that means is that their definition of compassion is a little bit different from ours. It's not just, oh, I feel your pain. It's that your pain moves something in me to the point where I'm compelled to do something wow. about it. Right. And so that's a shade of meaning that you kind of lose if you just say compassion, because it's not that it's wrong. It just isn't entirely what the writer of that word meant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another example is the word comfort. Like, you know, I think it's what John 14, you know, the Holy Spirit will be a comforter, all of the other stuff. Well, what does comfort mean today? You know, it means like comfort means to be relaxed, to feel safe, to feel at ease. But in English, there was a time when comfort meant something totally different like comfort meant that you, you comfort meant to encourage and push someone along and so you would comfort a horse and they could go faster
1: Wow.
0: but english words change right. so it doesn't mean it anymore and so that's one reason why we had translation is because that en- the english language changes right. another reason is because people have different theologies right. and so like, the, you've mentioned the, the ESV before, right? The English Standard Version mm-hmm. and the Revised Standard Version. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example of different of, theology would be used with those. So in the ESV, if you read Isaiah 9 where it talks about, you know, in the, the virgin will be with child and the government will be on his shoulders and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, if you read it in the New Revised Standard Version, it'll say the, the woman will be with child. It won't say virgin. Because it's the ESV, it was translated by more traditional conservative theologians. But the reality is, in there is a, I believe I might be getting this, well, I might be getting part of this wrong. This, this part I know is true. There is no Hebrew word, necessarily, that we have for virgin in our context, but we think, like when we say virgin, we mean someone who has not had sex, right? And so in Hebrew, there's not really, they don't really... It's not really there in the in the connotation that we have it. But in Greek there is. Right? And so there's some there's some conflict there. And then again, it's translation is that well, which one is it? And so if you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin birth, then of course which one are you gonna go with, right? <laughs> you're gonna go with that one. But if you you're using the Hebrew, then you know you might do something different, totally different. And that's could that could be how that theological problem can come around. And so that, that it's another reason why people will have different versions. And the last one, is that just money? Yeah. I mean, Bibles make money. That's why you have red letter Bibles still and you have you know all types of themes, like you know, the Teen Bible, the Megafest Bible, the Woman Thought Art Loose Bible, the, um, I don't know, the, the, the military Bible, all these things where it's essentially the same shit. <laughs> it's the <laughs> same thing, but it's different. Um, oh, one last thing too. I th- usually what happens is, like you can some Bible versions are easier to read for than others, like so for example, you'll see in a lot of churches um this used to be true, I don't know if it's still true now in a lot of churches where you'll have um maybe you'll have a large immigrant population, you might tend to see more n i v bible hmm. I don't know if that's still true or not it used to be
1: well you, uh, because
0: you... it's just generally easier to read and I mean for the average person it's you it's not, you're, not, you're not going to necessarily notice a ton unless you really know what you're looking for. Um, but that's the main reason why. So the main reasons why, I should say. Yeah. That was a lot.
1: <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, it makes complete sense. But I think the thing that people don't get is that there's politics in everything. Um, and I guess I just see it from an anthropological perspective sociological approach in that you know when it comes to translations and languages how things get muddled or get lost because you know one one culture is looking at certain things in 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 a certain lens and and the other the culture is also um taking it take a certain context in a particular way
0: well everybody has an agenda i think that's the thing that people miss too is that it's Everybody had, when you sit down to write something, you're writing it for a reason. Right. And so everybody from the people who wrote these ancient documents to the people who translate them, everybody has an agenda. And so you have to figure out what their agenda is mm-hmm. and see if you align with it before it actually makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some unfortunate, well, maybe unfortunate as harsh, but let's say, for example, um, there's some things that don't make sense for people because people like them they keep doing is people buy it. Like, so I said, for example, the red letter Bible, one of people love it. People love the red letter Bibles and they bought them because, you know, the words of Jesus and all that. But the reality is if you put some words in red, you are kind of, you're, it's contradicting itself, but you're saying that the whole Bible is important, right? But you put some words in red. Mm. And so which ones make a difference? And even if the words of Jesus that are in red, If you read them in different Gospels, they have sometimes different connotations. And so which connotation do you pick? But the truth is, while that question exists, people like it. So they make them because they buy them. Um, Another time that happens, I say the Amplified Bible. Do people still read that? I feel like the answer is no. (laughs) Um, Because the Amplified Bible would do its very best to... Explain literally every single word. (laughs) Like it had parentheses and brackets, and so a verse that could be like maybe ten words long ended up being like fifty.
1: Right, it was like it's funny. It's funny to me because it's like to me looking back on them, like oh, amplified, and you thought you know people were the only things that were extra. Like come on. (laughs)
0: Well, you know what, too, who I think who really popularized the use of the Amplified Bible was folks like Joyce Meyer yeah, and Juanita Bynum, because they used it back then, too. Yeah. And so it had, I mean, I had the Amplified Bible. I sure did. And so it gives, if particularly if you want to be more thoughtful or you're trying to be more thoughtful, it has the appearance of you really getting down to what these words mean, right? hmm the problem with that approach, though, is that if you use a word, the word doesn't mean five different things in that sentence. It only means one of those things. Mm. So even if I tell you all the possibilities, it's not all of those, it's only one. So, for example, if I say, you know, if I write, that's my dog. The Amplified Bible will say, that's my dog. And it had brackets. And it'll be like, you know, my friend. An animal, best friend, companion, (laughs) type of canine, right? Right. It can't mean all of those things. It It can mean all of those things, I should say. Like, it can mean all of them. But in that sentence, it only means one of those things. Because it can't mean every one of those things at once in this sentence. Right. The writer only means it to mean one of those things. Right. And so you you're being told all this information that may be good to know, but it doesn't matter for the sentence that you're actually reading. Mm. And so that way it's a waste. It's like, it doesn't really make a point, a, a difference to do. Another one is those Greek Bibles that they would make. Like they would try to have the Greek word, mm-hmm. which again, doesn't really help you. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to be like, oh, well, it's bad. And, you know, ultimately I have to go to the seminary and They learn it all. But again, people buy it. <laughs> so they love it, but again, it's it doesn't really you you're not gonna understand Greek by getting one of those Bibles that has the Greek word. I mean, even if, even if you get a good interlinear Bible, those Bibles really aren't meant to teach you the ancient language. They're really meant for folk. like they work best when folks already kind of know the language. Like me, for example, like my Greek is really rusty, but I can stumble like I can stumble through all of like the first chapter of, of John's gospel, because it's really easy Greek to read. Right. Like, like it's you can if you took Greek for like a month, mm-hmm. you can probably stumble through most of John chapter one on your own. That's how easy it is. Um, but I might forget some stuff. So I can crack with my instrument in your Bible if I'm, you know, pressed for time and read through it. But if you really don't know Greek, it's not necessarily you might get some things here and there, but it's not gonna really help you. I mean, ultimately, it's best. Like if you really want to say you wanna study the Bible, it's bet you like you really can't avoid learning the language. Most people aren't, and most people can't. Um, and so I'm not saying people can't study it generally speaking, but it's like you really wanna get down and dig into the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta learn the language. Like, so for example, like John 316. I would translate John three sixteen differently in light of me knowing Greek. I wouldn't I wouldn't say for God loved the world. I would say, God loved the world so much. Well, God loved the world like this. He gave his only begotten son. Da, 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 da. Hmm. Um, And that's another possibility. And I think for me, that fits more with the narrative that goes on. But that's the other thing, too, about translations is that It's people make decisions based on the text. And so because our Bible is separated into like chapters Mm -hmm. and verses, which are not in the original text at all, people see in their mind, they only see a chapter and a verse, Mm -hmm. but a chapter and a verse exists. Like you know how if you read an actual book, like if you pick up a book off your shelf, right? It's not going to have numbers in the uh, next to each sentence because that's not how we read. Right. That's not how people generally write. Um, and so that'll be in there. Um, and so if you read a whole passage, one thing that if you if you only read one verse, and leave it alone. But then you might read the the verses before it and after it. You might come to a different conclusion about what that actual verse means. Like, I think a good example of this is Philippians um, three fourteen. You know which one that is. Mm-hmm. That's um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Four thirteen. Oh, it's four thirteen. I'm sorry, I keep messing it up. So yeah, Philippians three, uh, Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some Greek. Texts say just, I can do all things through him, but it's pretty obvious Paul is talking about Christ. But the thing is that most people take that as, oh, I can do anything, right? Through Jesus who lives on the inside of me. But if you read the verses before it, (laughs) 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 what Paul is talking about is he's saying, basically, you know, I've been in rough situations. I've been in easy situations. I've known, I've had a lot of money. I've had a little bit of money you know, I've been in prison, I've been free, all this other stuff. But basically the secret that he found to getting through it all is that he can get through every situation in life because Christ is on the inside of him. That's not the same as saying you can do anything because Paul was in some pretty crappy situations and didn't get out of them. What he's saying is that he can maintain through these situations because Christ is on the inside of him. So that's what happens. If you only read one verse and run with it, you won't you know, you won't really be able to do it. But if, again, if you know Greek, you can look at different shades and things and meanings um, and you can be able to figure out stuff like that in, in ways that make more sense. Yep. Pretty,
1: pretty good explanation.
0: Well, I hope so. I hope I, I know that was kind of long winded. I'm sorry. No, I think it
1: completely <laughs> makes sense. And you're coming at it from a perspective that, unfortunately, you know, mem- Lati like me um, don't really get a chance to really hear. And sometimes I wonder if that's because there is this subconscious fear on part on the part of leadership saying, "Well, we can't really say what we." What this actually, what this translated, what this trans, what we were, have have been taught to translate to mean, because we've been preaching this for this particular way forever, and it's just, it's. I guess the, I, I, think someone said it. Don't be, you can't be. Smash almost all the smithereens and not be there to pick up the pieces.
0: Well, I think the issue is is that particularly you are talking about. The Bible in churches. Mm-hmm. Most churches have their preferred version. Most people, most preachers have their preferred versions, and and that's fine, um, as long as it's not the King James version. Um, it just can't be that one, right? Um, it's a, it's really a terrible translation. Like even there, even the conservative. Um, well, okay, maybe this is me being nice and graceful. Even the even the modern translations tend to be better. Even the modern. Concerted translations tend to be better than the, the King James. Not by much, <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, the King James Bible has a lot of problems. Main problem being, and I'm trying to explain this in a way that that's like kind of simple. The King James Version um, has impacted English in a lot of ways. Like it's phrases that we had that we wouldn't because of the King James Bible. Like, for example, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Mm -hmm. Um, by the skin of your teeth, things like that, that appear in the King James Bible have made it into the way we use English. But the thing about it is, is that these phrases also kind of come from not really understanding the language, particularly Hebrew, Mm -hmm. um, because it was more ancient in that time and harder to kind of translate for those folks who created, and you know, the, um, that version way back when, and they also use manuscripts that accumulated mistakes. Um, and so, like, say, for example, if you had to translate, like, you had to break a code today, right? And the thing you're using to break the code had decades of errors. You wouldn't really be able to accurately discern what the code is, right? Right. Right. Well, that's kind of the issue with the King James Bible is that, the, the, you know, when it was translated in 16-whenever, the manuscripts, the old dusty manuscripts that they used to translate had a ton of mistakes. And when I say mistakes, I don't mean on some Da Vinci Code-like conspiracy theory, um, which people tend to think too often and isn't really true. People used enormous care when making these things, mm-hmm. but the problem is, is that there was no fax machine, there was no copy machine, there was not even a printing press when most of these things were made. Right, and so mistakes happen. Titles are moved, and and punctuation marks are there uh, or not there. Right, even the word Jehovah. And now they're thinking yeah. about all the songs that we know that have Jehovah in them and things like that. Jehovah is a mistranslation, um, because It's just not, that's not a word that they would ever say. I don't even think there's a J in Hebrew. I don't even think there is a J sound in Hebrew. I could be wrong, but I'm trying to think back to my old Hebrew class. I don't think there is a J sound in Hebrew. (laughs) I mean, there might be, but I don't remember one, but it's been a while. I could be wrong. But Jehovah, like, Jehovah is the accident that happens when someone looks at Hebrew and interprets the dots wrong because they don't understand the culture. Um, should I just explain what that is Am I should I just go ahead and explain that part too or am I saying too bad
1: you might want to save that for next time because I understand what you're talking about in terms of the Jehovah and the Hebrew Scriptures but I think that's for another uh, podcast in which we can talk about um, Bible reading plans
0: oh well I think well you know Maybe it would be helpful, only because I think it does. Well, it, it's a lot. We can, we can. It, it, that can be its own Sunday school one because it definitely is worth right. describing. But just, to, just put it in your, put it in your cap that Jehovah is not something that anybody would have said, right? Um, until people mistranslated the actual word in the Hebrew scriptures. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically why. Um, the one thing I would say is if people are finding their own Bible translations. It's best to have more than one. Um, the ones that I prefer to use, I mean, personally, when I have time, if I'm, if I'm doing something from the, 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 from the Second Testament, the New Testament, um, I like to translate the scripture on my own if I have time. If I don't, I like the New Revised Standard Version. Um, that one works well. I think another example is um, what? Um the the C E B that version one. is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I actually like that one.
0: Um the message, well, the message is arguable. Like it depends. Sometimes the Bible, the message Bible explains things way clearer and it really hits the nose on the head. Mm-hmm. I mean the, the nail on the head about what the, the original is saying. Sometimes it's like what? So if you just want to hear something. If you just want to hear a fresh take on something, go for that. But don't, I would not use it to like do serious study or anything like that. Um, let me see. So the, the, so the New Revised Standard Version, the CEB Bible, the, um, the NIV, I guess. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> it's kind of wax sauce, but it's better. Anything is better. Well, put it this way. If you're asking me, most Bibles, I'm not going to be mad if you use it as long as... Yeah, you
1: don't want to know how many Bible translations I have.
0: It's bad. I I used to have billions. I still do, but they're like electronic, but I had every version. Oh, let me put the New King James on that list. The New King James is also terrible. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) put away the King James, put away the New King James. Put away the ESV, put away the Amplified Bible, unless you have time to read for hours, because you don't need all those words. Um, Yeah, put those away. Well, I think
1: that answers uh, my question about how many, why we have so many translations. (laughs) Some surprising answers, some not so surprising.
0: What was surprising?
1: Um, I think what was surprising was how much the different translations, how much the different translations were attributed to just the, the impact of like having to copy and recopy things and how certain things were left out.
0: Well, yes. Uh, let, let me clarify that a little bit. <laughs> okay. It's true that certain things are taken out and removed. So I'm not saying that that never has happened. But on, like, for example, in first, one of the Johns, like, you know, first, second, and third John, right. I forgot exactly which one. If you read Bibles that are old enough, there's a whole verse that says something about, like, you know, something, it, it's something about spirit and faith. I, I forgot exactly what it was, but there, there's a whole verse in one of the Johns. You read a Bible that's old enough in English, you'll see it there. But in modern versions, it's not there. Reason being because that verse, someone put that verse in there. Wow. Um, it was a part of a hymn and, a, and it made a theological statement. So someone slipped that in there. But the thing is, most biblical scholars and people who look through these things, they can easily tell when something has slipped in there when it doesn't belong. Like, And so... Most of the situations that happen are not like that. You also have some things that are like parenthetical statements. So, like if you let's say you're reading Luke, right? And Luke, you'll see a bunch of these, and you'll and you'll particularly like let's say the, um, I think in the 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 story of the last the the the, the good Samaritan, so to speak. Um, you'll see parenthetical statements that they put in there because the authors knew that they were talking to people who weren't necessarily Jewish or. Somebody else got this letter and they were reading it and wanted to put in there that, oh, by the way, that's what this means. So it's like, I think it like a footnote. Right. Or an end note. Right? right. Right. And so people, and so it wasn't really, and keep in mind also that while people took these things very seriously, they didn't necessarily take them on the same level that we do today. So they didn't know, like, they didn't have necessarily the same exact view of, let's say, one of Paul's letters that we did, even though it was very, very important. them but they wouldn't they they weren't thinking like oh let's not alter the scripture they were thinking well let's put something in here here that'll make it easier for people to understand and so that gets confused or people just make mistakes like they copied these things by hand and so you make a mistake here a typo there an error here and these errors creep in or people just explain things differently like even how we do today when even, like If we tell a story over and over again, we use different words. Right. And sometimes those words really don't make a difference. You know, you can say, Jack and Jill went up the hill. Or you can say, Jack and Jill walked up the hill. Right. Or you can say, Jack and Jill went up the hill together. Those are all different, but they kind of mean the same thing. But they're kind of the same at the same time. You know what I mean? And right. so those things happen too, Um it's not just this idea. I think a lot of people who have issues with the Bible, and it's totally fine to have them, but one of them is that, oh, well, people messed around and made errors up with it. And there is a space for that, but the idea that people were in there just doing whatever the hell they wanted is not a, it's not a fair enough answer mm. to what actually happened. Okay. It's not that it didn't happen. But it's not some huge conspiracy. The it's way... not to the
1: extent that it happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about why, how the Bible was compiled. Then, yes, there were certain things that were included, certain things that weren't. And even that's a complicated story, which probably is we're getting into other stuff, too. So that should be another Sunday school topic. Right. But um basically, we have translations. Because people have different theological views. Right. People have different theological standpoints. Right. Um, and people and Bibles make money.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Dell and Jess. If you like this episode, please comment and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Follow us on Twitter and at Dell and Jess, and shoot us your questions, thoughts, and ideas at the Dell and Jess Show at gmail.com. Bye. <laughs>